Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So at a pretty young age, I learned words. I'm not sure exactly where I learned them or how I learned them, but I learned the words, that's not fair. It's not fair. From a very early age, I probably resonate with many of you, kind of have an innate sense of what is fair and what is right and what is wrong. And when someone is like showing favoritism and it's not going my direction, got a pretty good, uh, pretty good eyesight for that happening. And I will say this kind of sense of like what's fair, what's not fair, so many of you know, I'm the youngest of uh, seven. So between my siblings, we have different interpretations of who got shown favoritism. Uh, I often hear because I was the youngest, I was spoiled, but I also want to counter with, but I was doing all the chores when all of you had left. So I'm not sure how all this works itself out. It's a running debate in our family. So that's just a little bit of insight into where we live. But there, we all know that, right? We know when a teacher when a coach, when a parent, kind of when we see their hand and it's clear, they're playing favorites. And we have a zero tolerance policy for that. We don't like it. But James says, actually, even in a church, even the body of Christ, he doesn't say it in these words exactly, but I, I definitely think it's something he would have no problem bringing to our attention, in, even in the body of Christ, we can become infected with favoritism, with what the text says here, partiality. So we're not immune to that. And I'd like for us to, again, see verse 1 that Robin just read a second ago, because he calls it out really clearly here, right? Verse 1 of James 2 says, My brothers, show no partiality, as you hold the faith, so our series is living the faith, as you hold the faith, as you live out the faith 
in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, no partiality. So here's kind of the approach I'd like for us to take. It's kind of answering three questions today. So uh, a first question, and I'll just kind of share where we're going so you have an idea. The first question is exactly what is James talking about? So we'll look at that. The next question will be this. Why is partiality so appealing? Why, why would we even do this if James says don't do that? And then finally, I want to close with like what can work our hearts, what can change our hearts when it comes to if we find ourselves like I do this, I'm guilty of this, what can change our hearts and drive something new going on? So first question is this, uh, what exactly is James talking about? What exactly is James referring to? In one sense, it's easy, it's partiality, although if you have other translations, some of those will say a favoritism. Some will say prejudice. So that, that's the neighborhood it, it, uh, of words we're looking at. Partiality is to regard a person with favor, but it's to make a judgment on the basis of someone's outward appearance or their social status. So there's something about how they look or what we think they are or who we think they are position-wise that causes us to treat them differently. That's partiality that causes us to treat them with favor just based on appearance, just based on a social status. And we're told not to do that. We're told not to do that. And then we're given an illustration in verses 2 and 3 of what that looks like. When we, when we take someone's like outward appearance and we treat them differently, it drives some very different responses. So verse 2, if a man wearing, a, and it, it kind of pictures a, a church setting, a gathering, much like we have today. Imagine a, a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So you kind of got the idea of maybe they're coming in different doors, maybe the same door. But if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, hey, you, could you sit here? We've got a great place for you to sit. It's right here. Kind of giving them preferential treatment. But then you say to the poor man, uh, if, if you stand over there. Um, actually, if you, uh, if you could just sit down, sit down here by my feet. So it's a, it's a pretty vivid illustration, is it? hypothetical? Did this really happen in the churches that James was addressing? Is it maybe exaggerated? I mean, we don't know, but I think a good inference is things were going on of which this is a good illustration of not to go down this road. So even if it is hypothetical, it clarifies what James is saying. In verse 4, he even alludes to it. It gives us a little bit more clarity in that what it means to show partiality is to make distinctions, to make judgments among yourselves. Verse, six, or verse 4 says you become judges, but you become judges with evil thoughts, evil rationale. As you're processing these things, you're, you're in a, a wicked realm. Verse 6 says you treat people and in, you think you may be honoring this person, but what, what is really going on is you are dishonoring the poor man when you treat them like that. When you, again, verse 9, show partiality, when you make a judgment on the basis of a person's outward appearance or their social status. And this goes on all the time in the world, doesn't it? Partiality is shown all over the world all the time. Some of you know I like to watch documentaries, and 
some of those are sports documentaries and you see these famous people that sometimes for decades have been treated with partiality. People cater to them. People give them things that they wouldn't give anybody else. People give them the benefit of the doubt they wouldn't give it to anybody else. And we know when we live in such a celebrity world, partiality happens all the time in our world. We can look at and we can see how favoritism, partiality is shown. James is highlighting how that relates to wealth and class. So rich and poor are the distinctions he's making. But we know partiality can favoritism, preferential treatment, prejudice can fall on any number of lines. So it could be you look at someone's profession and when you hear, oh, she's in this field, oh, she's doing this, that signals, I think I'm going to treat that person differently than I'm going to treat him who just is. And we fill in the blank with something that we deem as like, not quite like this. We could do it with education. So we're in a college town and education matters. Could it matter to the point where because someone has this degree or these degrees, we treat them differently than a person that doesn't have those or didn't go to, oh, you didn't go to this or that place. We could certainly do it on the, along the lines. We could show partiality or favoritism or prejudice along the lines of race or ethnicity. Treat people differently because of their outward appearance. And we favor one and we don't favor the other. We could treat people differently because of citizenship status. Because someone is this, we treat them a certain way that we don't treat another person. The world is going to find, we are going to find infinite ways to make distinctions and to show preferential treatment and treat people differently. And some of it may seem very minor to us and we may find a lot of it like, oh, I'm going to excuse that, it's because of. But then some of it we get kind of, we look and we recognize this is horrific. It's when you see like the, the forms of racism and prejudice. I mean, it's horrific and it's awful and we see where that goes and how that is something so counter to what we read in Scripture. And this passage particularly is focused on negative implications. So it's not just talking about like you honor one person. It's like you honor them, but to the detriment of someone else. You dishonor another person. So anything with outward appearance that like causes us to treat someone with words and actions differently, and we treat like the negative implication is here. Like you treat someone, you kind of brush them off because Whatever it is, they don't rate like this other person does. And here's the command to the church. Do not treat some people better than others because of appearance. Do not show partiality. This is what James is talking about. And it's helpful to clarify because we're not talking about showing honor. So scripture says, honor to whom honor is due. So when you honor someone because of the work they've done, that's not showing partiality, not necessarily. When you honor someone because of the skills that they have, that. That's good and right to do that. The influence they have, the position they have. You can imagine if someone, and this has been r real scenarios, right? If someone comes in who's accomplished something or someone in an authoritative position walks in, you certainly take note of that. And there is respect that's afforded to that person. If I were to meet with some authors or speakers or pastors that have influenced me that I've read their books for decades, if I were to get a chance to meet them, I would show them honor. I don't think James is talking about honor to whom honor is due. 
I think he's talking about when it goes wrong. As I was even preparing, I thought of times in the past where I noticed someone important was in the room. And it just kind of changed things. I was kind of eager to end the conversation with the person that like, I kind of want to talk to him and I kind of want this one to end. And in those moments, what's going on? You say it's a natural human impulse. But something's going on where I go, yeah, I'm pretty much done with this because I want to talk to him. I want to talk to her. I'm going to the wrong place. Partiality manifests itself in thoughts. I'm in verse 4 said, this can be evil thoughts. But it also manifests itself in speaking and in acting. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's an intentional and direct nature. So this isn't even something like, I wonder if I'm doing it. This is, there's, there's some evidence that this is going on, especially in verse 3. The way it's described is helpful. It's like nothing indirect and takes away excuses. So in verse 3, I mean, we have a church, a person treating someone by saying, you stand over there. There's like distance in there, isn't that? That's partiality. I, I don't think like you're really one of us. Why don't you stand over here while, while all of us stand over here? It's partiality. Or even superiority, like you sit down at my feet. And the implication is clear, like, because we are better than you. I am better than you. By our thoughts, action, and speech, we're saying some people are better than others. And James leaves no doubt, calls it out, and says this is a sin. This is sinning, and it's not a, like an inconsequential one. It's not as if, well, I mean, you can recategorize this. This is like you got a bad grade on homework. This isn't like a final exam kind of grade where we know that's really important. Homework grades, like, ah, oh, the teacher's probably going to throw out the lowest two. Anyway, so this is okay. If you do this one, it's all right. James says, no, 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 we're not, we can't do that. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the whole law. The one who's guilty of the law that says don't murder is if you're guilty of this, like this is all in the same, same vein. He will not let us just kind of diminish it and go, it's not a big deal. You are committing sin. This is law-breaking, and the particular law it's breaking, according to verse 9, is, is all throughout Scripture, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And none of us want to be treated as less than because of our appearance. None of us want to be treated that way. None of us want to be shown disrespect just because how we appear. None of us want to be prejudged that way or favoritism shown to someone else. So, if we don't want to be treated that way, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And James says, when you go down the road of favoritism, you are convicted by the law as a transgressor, which is very devastating, right? To know guilty. That's the charge. And there is no court of appeal, which is why it's such good news. And we can boldly remind ourselves that Jesus didn't just die for liars and gossips, thieves, and murderers. Jesus died for those of us who have sinned by showing partiality. Jesus died for those of us who have sinned by being prejudiced, by playing favorites. We can be forgiven. Jesus says, reminds us through John's writings, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just, he is righteous, and he will forgive us of our sins. 
So I think we can be clear on what James is talking about, but I want to ask another question because I think it's so important that we don't just kind of go, oh, it's a sin. But I, I, I want to ask this question. Why is partiality so appealing? Like, what is the appeal? Well, why, why would we be drawn to do that? If it is sinful, then and sin is terrible and violates God's law, then why would we be tempted to do it? And I think it's because of what James 1 has already told us, that sin lures us, it baits us, it kind of reels us in, it promises something attractive, and then doesn't deliver. And it's really wise to kind of deconstruct, unmask exactly what is going on with sin, because I, let's not just look at like what's on the bait, let's look at what, exactly what is it and try to discern our hearts, why, why was this attractive? Why would it be drawn to this? If sin is often based on a lie, which it is, or it's based on a desire that's a good desire gone bad, which it often is, then what is going on here? What does partiality promise? I think before you even get to what it promises, you have to realize what James is going to tell you is it's really a foolish thing to show favoritism, especially to certain groups of people. I, I was thinking about this I, I, as I was reading and meditating on what James is saying. He says you're tempted to, like, cater to the rich in that context. You're tempted to cater to them. But then he asks questions, and I think there's a punch in these, if not, like, outright sarcasm in these questions in verse 6 and 7. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones that are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the honorable, the holy name by which you are called? Aren't the, like you can hear James, like, did I get this wrong? So let me get this right. You want to be noticed by the rich people who, when they notice you, are oppressing you. This doesn't even make sense. You want their favor. You want the favor of those that are making life tough for you. And you think somehow you're going to get special treatment when they're not giving you any special treatment. Like, well, what's going on here? He, just see how he is unpacking this. Uh, it's not even in your own interest. It doesn't even make sense. Aren't the ones who are, like, going after you, aren't they the ones who you don't even share spiritual unity with, but you want to be looked at as good or something in their eyes? You want their recognition? It doesn't make sense. But then again, don't ever forget this. Sin often rarely makes sense. When you really peel it back, when you really look at what the bait and the lure really is, it's so easy for us once we really peel it back and go, oh, that's ridiculous. What was I thinking? This, of course, this was foolish, but we often don't see it at first. I think it serves us well to look at it a little deeper. Why is treating people differently for the sake of, you know, like appearance, why is that so appealing? So I could think of a couple reasons. You could probably think of several more. I think one of those reasons why I might treat one of you with like favor and the other one say, I don't have time. One reason I might do that is that I hope or maybe even expect that the person I'm treating with favoritism could do something for me, for my benefit. You see how that works? I mean, that's why we would be tempted to do it, right? If I thought by their wealth, by their position, by their status, by their title, by their influence, by their privilege, they could give me something that I don't have. And so I'm going to try to get that. And the means of getting that is by treating them differently than I would treat someone else. 
maybe they could give me something materially. With their wealth, their position, maybe I get invited to this, or I get to do this, I get to experience this. Maybe they provide comfort and security to, to me that I would not have, but I go, they would be a source of that, and I really want that, so, yeah, I mean, everybody does it, so I guess, you know, I'm just trying to meet some people. We begin to excuse it. Is that what's going on? And if someone can't do much for you materially, is it like, yeah, you don't matter as much to me? Is that what's going on? Are you ever tempted to think that? I think it could go down another road. Okay, and why is this so appealing? Why, why would I do this when James says don't do this? I don't want to be treated that way. Why would I do it anyway? I think another is maybe I'm not looking for something maybe immediately that I would benefit from, like they give me stuff or, but maybe it's just I like being in close proximity. So, you know, I don't have to be anything important, but at least I know people important. Maybe that's the draw. That people know I know people. People know that I'm close to people. People can tell I'm like, I'm, I've got proximity to power or wealth or authority or influence. No, I, don't, I don't have it, but I'm close. Like, this is why we name drop. This is why it's like, it's horrendous sometimes, isn't it? We shoehorn this into conversation. Like, this had nothing to do with this person that happened to be in your contact. See, I could text them right now. Like, what, what are we doing? What's going on with that? We're just saying, like, I happen to know so-and-so. And we kind of like that someone's impressed that we know so-and-so, that we have access to them. What is that that gives us? It gives us a sense of validation, maybe identity. Again, I'm not saying any of this is really really pretty. It's actually not. I'm just like, let's pull it back and try to understand exactly what is so alluring about this to us. And is our heart really saying, if you don't give me any validation, and if like, it doesn't do me any benefit that you know my name, then I don't really have time for you. That's what's going on in our heart. Then that is most certainly not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. So we kind of look in our heart. So this is the hard part, though. It's like not that hard to describe what partiality is. It's not that hard actually to even talk about what's alluring to us. What's hard is like if we see that going on, I'm guessing somewhere in our lives we have to see that going on at some point. What can change us? The question is like what can change our perspective and our heart when it comes to partiality? What can change us? What can move our heart to something different than playing favorites or being prejudiced? What, what can move our hearts out of that? It's complicated because sometimes we don't even see it. But I think first we have to like try to do an honest assessment of our heart. Like what's going on? Some humble evaluation and discovery. We've got to ask for God's help. I think we've got to pray the prayer that the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139. Like search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me, like test me, test me. Like let me see where this is going on in my life where I may not even have noticed it prior to this Sunday morning when we opened the, these words and James says this could be going on in the church. I, I might not have noticed. So Lord, search me and expose this. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Lord to show you where partiality might have roots in your life. Ask the Lord to show you where 
Like maybe even as a church, we say, Lord, show us where partiality, favoritism might have roots in our church, where we might even as a church treat people differently because of what we perceive on the outside. Maybe spend some time doing a transparent, spirit-led audit of your relationships, especially with people that you perceive are influential and filled with power. Maybe those that you, God has brought across your path that don't seem to be in that category. Maybe this is a good discussion to talk with other people about and kind of work through, like, I think this is going on in my heart. And then, so assess and then take action, right? Take action. Repent before the Lord. Name it. Don't recast it as something less terrible. It's really not that bad, Lord, but if I do this, I guess I'm sorry. It's not repentance. It's, Lord, I, I know I've done that. I see where I've treated this person. I know in my mind something went up and I had an evil thought or like that person's not worth my time. I'm not, I, I, I'm going to try to kind of maneuver around this so I don't have to deal with that person that's pretty much subhuman so that I can deal with someone that is like really important and can help me. Lord, show me where that is and I want to turn from that. Even as the poor are mentioned again and again in the book of James, it does remind us like this is Change would mean I proactively pursue wise ways to help and honor the poor. So yeah, I mean, I could think of probably a hundred unwise ways to help and honor the poor. But there, there have to be tons of ways in which maybe organizations were a part of, volunteer, we, maybe, maybe we sponsor a child, maybe we make visits, maybe we use skills and resources to benefit others and train and tutor them. And I see that going on all over in our church where people are using, like God has blessed you, God has been generous to you, and you're not just going to hoard that, you're going to share that. Sometimes with people who are in desperate need of those things, that's taking action. But that still doesn't get at the heart. That still isn't necessarily saying, this changes my heart. What will not change your heart is a checklist where you go, okay, I'll just do these five things in there and see my heart's changed. It just doesn't work like that. What isn't going to change your heart is a massive guilt trip that I could lay on you and myself. Just the heart doesn't work like that. But I do, I do believe there are some ways our hearts could be changed. And we have to see these by eyes of faith because we see the benefit of treating someone with partiality and favoritism. We see those just naturally like this benefits me, so I'm going to do it. But by eyes of faith, I'm going to tell you it does make a difference when you see Jesus differently. That can move your heart. When you see Jesus as your ruler, what can change the heart? Well, knowing Jesus is our ruler and he is completely impartial. He does not show partiality. Verse 1 said, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the ruler, the master of glory. The Lord. When I begin to recognize Jesus as the ruler, and you know what that means? If I really see that, then if he's the ruler, then I do what he says. And if he says, show no partiality, because of my relationship with him as the ruler of my life, I say, Lord, I want to obey you. Help me be willing. Help me to desire to obey because that's what I want. 
if God says not to do this, if he says show no partiality as you hold faith in Jesus Christ, then because he's my ruler, regardless of my own instincts, which are going to say, well, if you kind of if you kind of curry their favor, that, that could help you in the long run. So maybe show them favor even if you excuse yourself for not having the time of day for that person. If, if that's even my own instincts, what will change my heart is Jesus and his will supersedes that. If all around the culture we applaud showing favoritism, but Jesus says that's not the way I want you to live. And because I bow the knee to him, I go, you tell me what to do. And by the way, because we know Jesus is our ruler and he doesn't show partiality, then no amount of wealth or being near prestige or power helps us in his sight. When I get that, when I recognize that the example of Jesus was he is the Lord of glory, yet 2 Corinthians says, for for our sakes, the one who was rich, Jesus, became poor so that we might in him be rich. Well, that changes things. Jesus was rich, but for our sakes, he became poor. He did interact with the rich all the time, but he did so in such a way that was never at the expense of those in need. Because of who he is as a ruler and because of what he's done, I care, I I have to care the most about pleasing him, not just trying to gain the favor of people who supposedly could help me. Jesus is our ruler, but he's also our savior. So we're talking about things that can change the heart. Well, when I realized that Jesus is not only our ruler, but he's our savior. And he shows no partiality in his saving. Even to the point where it says in verse 5, God has chosen the poor in the world. So it wasn't like an income bracket you had to fall into. And like once you finally get to this income bracket... Then he chooses you. That's not the, what this says. He, he's chosen the poor who didn't even have the, have the means to earn any sort of favor with him. If that's, if that's the impartiality of Jesus, then what really matters to him is those who are, it says, rich in faith. Those who love God. Those who are the heirs of the kingdom. Jesus is our Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved and no partiality. Person after person in the Bible, you find actually very humble. You think of even Mary and Joseph. Very humble beginnings. And the Lord rests his favor on them. It's ironic because we want to benefit. I said a minute ago, I I think we want to benefit somehow from being associated with the rich and the powerful. And James just turns that on its head. It's like, it's ironic, but you actually can benefit from those who are rich, but the, the real benefit you want is those who are rich in faith. You want to be near people who are rich, yes, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, And we know that, we know that. So when I am close to someone who is rich in faith and I hear in their prayers, like there is courage in praying and there is confidence in believing that what God said he'll do and what God promised he will give. When I hear that, isn't like their richness, they are rich in believing and trusting and having confidence and reliance in God. Doesn't that do something for me? I want to be around that. I, my life is improved when I'm around that person. 
My life is improved when someone is rich in faith and they have steadfastness in suffering. When life just seems to be pounding them, but they are, they're stable. Their faith is not, like it's not falling apart. And I watch that when I'm around that. It's like, you know what? They're rich in faith and that benefits me. When I see someone rich in faith, they have confidence in God's word. And because of that, they make wise decisions. I want to be around that. You see, we can get it all flipped. We, we think it's about a bank account or an investment portfolio. And what about the people around us who have a deep, deep walk with God? Jesus is our Savior. And He pours out His blessings to those who love God. Pours out His blessings to those are rich in faith. No amount of wealth, or I'm connected to him, or I'm connected to her. We do realize like that gains us nothing in his sight. I'm not justified by the people I know or the access I have on this earth. I'm justified because Jesus is my Savior. And in showing love and compassion to me, he showed no partiality. Just poured out his mercy and his grace. This section ends of talking about law and judgment. Remember it said, you're convicted as a lawbreaker, a transgressor of the law, if you show partiality. And we certainly could say guilty there. We have failed. We can contrast our guilt and our failure to keep the law with Jesus' perfection and his, how he always kept the law, how he always loved his neighbor as himself. By God's grace, we receive his righteousness. By God's grace, he went to the cross. Jesus did as, like he's hung on the cross as a lawbreaker, even though it's we're the ones that are the lawbreakers. He's the substitute on our behalf. We receive his righteousness, and we're not under the demands of that law. We've, we've been declared not guilty. This passage talks about the law in a different way, and I know that because it's talking about a royal law and the law of liberty, a royal law, a law that is royal, that is connected to King Jesus, the kingdom of God where Jesus rules, where God's people are blessed, a, a law that brings freedom. And he says, by that law, by the royal law, the law that Jesus brings, you, you will be judged by that. Jesus brings in the kingdom of God. And all power and authority in heaven and on earth is his. And he says, live this way, and that's the law. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the law, and we will be judged by that law. And it's a, a different kind of law. It's not the law that determines whether we're saved or lost, whether we're righteous or damned for eternity. It's a different kind of law, but it, it's still a law. We're not going to face judgment for breaking the commandments because Jesus Christ has taken that judgment for us. But when we realize this, when we realize we're going to be held account to how we live for the one who is the ruler and the savior, we also recognize, see what can change our heart is that Jesus is our judge. And in his judgment, he shows no partiality. We're governed by a life-giving law of freedom. You'll never be enslaved when you Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That never is enslaving. 
that always brings freedom. Based on the relationship that we have with Jesus as our Savior, can I tell you, does He not have the authority to hold you accountable to what He said to do? Absolutely, He does for all of us. It's not about earning our salvation, but it is about showing by our works who He is and how much He matters to us. Because of who He is and what He's done, this is the difference. Jesus is our judge, not anybody else on this earth. So we're not living to like earn their, you're amazing, or you're not guilty. We're, we're living for Jesus' declaration. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I know what pleases him 10 times out of 10 is mercy. What pleases him is mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy just dispense, not because of someone's outward appearance, but because this is how Jesus has shown us mercy. We've seen that Jesus is ruler, savior, and judge. So I want to ask, are there any places where seeds of partiality have taken root in your life? Well, today is the day to uproot those. Today is the day to confess those. Is there any places where you thought it was attractive, but now you realize it sounds really immature and foolish? Today's the day to name it. Today's the day where if we haven't looked upon Jesus as our ruler, savior, and judge today, as the song says, we can turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. All the things of earth, they actually, it'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, in the light of his grace. Let me pray. Our Father, I do ask for your help because it seems like this could be somewhat difficult to discern at times where we've treated people differently. Sometimes it's not so obvious, but if you've said it is a sin against your law, then I pray that you'd help us see where some of those roots might be taking hold of our life. And I pray we would take a good, hard look at our Lord Jesus Christ. We would live for his approval, his favor, and that would free us not to be so needing desperately the approval of others. Do all this and more because of who Jesus is. We ask it in his name. Amen.